0: Welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on today's episode, we'll be looking at ways for leaders to create an environment that encourages innovation. To talk about that and much more, we're pleased to have Jonathan Vihar on the podcast today. Jonathan is a senior faculty member at the Center for Creative Leadership. He's consulted for numerous companies, including Clorox, Disney, GE, Johnson & Johnson, Kraft, Pfizer, Volvo, and many more, on how to make their workforces more innovative. He's also an adjunct instructor at Northwestern University, the Center for Studies and Creativity at SUNY Buffalo State College, and he'll be chairing the Front End of Innovation Conference in May. Along with David Magellan-Horth, He is co-author of the Center for Creative Leadership's white paper, Becoming a Leader Who Fosters Innovation. Jonathan Vihard, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks, Will. Glad to be here.
0: So, Jonathan, let's start off with a broad question. Why do you think innovation is important for leaders in today's environment?
1: it really boils down to being the lifeblood of the organization i mean, uh... you know any organization that wants to have any degree of longevity to it um, really needs to be paying attention to innovation not just to fuel the bottom line in terms of finding better ways of doing the things that they're already doing and finding new cost savings cost avoidances things like that but also fueling uh... fueling the top-line growth of the organization through new products new services Um it, things that will allow them to maintain Whatever, whatever position they have in the organization or gain position in the organization, given the fact that um, technology is moving incredibly quickly, uh, c- competitors are moving incredibly quickly because of technology, because of all the advancements, you know, the, the, the playing field is constantly unleveling, um, and folks need to move fast to, to adjust to that, and that's where innovation comes in. It really is the lifeblood of the organization, and without it, organizations just tend to wither, uh, wither and die.
0: All right. One of one of the lines that you use early in the white paper that stood out to me is culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, uh, and let me just say that culture sometimes eats strategy for lunch uh, <laughs> in addition to breakfast. Uh, and so really what that's all about, uh, Will, is it's about the fact that so many organizations spend a lot of time creating really elegant, really um, well-defined strategies for innovation, whether it's new product development or new service development or figuring out new business models or new processes or new ways of talking to customers. They come up with elegant strategies. Um and they neglect the fact that the culture of the organization will determine whether those strategies actually play out. Um, and so you can have the best strategy in the world, but if the culture doesn't support it, the culture will win. The culture always wins. The culture will outlive the people who create the strategy. They will outlive the consulting organization that may have been a part of it. Culture always wins. And so, uh, so for example, uh, so several years ago I worked with an organization. They were, uh, they were a construction, uh, construction engineering firm and uh they had a they had a really uh elegant strategy for innovation and they had a they had an innovation department rather small innovation department for the size of the organization, if you want my opinion, mm-hmm. um, but they put in place some people they were doing a lot of training they had a schedule they had a well articulated listing of what some of the competencies were, some of the tools that were necessary, some of the mindsets that required. And it didn't go anywhere because the culture of the organization was it was a, it was an organization mindset. It was an old-school organization, and they really thought that the innovation thing, that wasn't going anywhere. It didn't fit in with the way that the culture was set up. It didn't fit in with the values of the organization, and it just ended up going away, and that innovation department – didn't last very long at all, um, and so if you're if you're really paying attention to innovation, strategy is critical. It's important. It's very necessary, but without paying attention to the culture, that strategy will just be swallowed up by it.
0: And what are some of the things that leaders can do to foster that culture of innovation?
1: Well, that's a that's a pretty broad question, uh, and so let me just sort of narrow it down into into four key buckets uh, in terms of what we see as being the, the ways to, to address that. So mm-hmm. first and foremost, you got to pay attention to the people, right? So the people, uh, you know, the bottom line of everything regarding uh, innovation is people. You know, someday uh, artificial intelligence may take over for us and do the thinking and the inventing and the creating and the strategizing. But for now, it's really all about the people. That's where the innovation comes from. And mm-hmm. so we need to make sure that people have the right tools. They need an innovation tool set in terms of, you know, how do you think more creatively? How do you get things done? Um, how do you work with other people to, to accomplish uh, the tasks around innovation? So you need the tool set. You need the skill set. You need to have some sort of process. You need to have some sort of mastery in uh, in some way of getting things done, um, whether it's a design thinking methodology or a creative problem-solving process or um, you know some sort of you know um, biological basis for sort of doing the work that you're doing. But you need to have a process for, for making that stuff, um, for getting that stuff stuff done. Mm-hmm. And then you also need a mindset within the people. So people need to have the right framework for thinking about these things, the right way of looking at um, at ad- looking at new ideas to make sure that they're not just killing new ideas out of hand because they look funny and strange. Which innovative ideas will do by definition, right? So the people need to have the right tool set, skill set, mindset. So what the leader needs to do around the people is basically make sure that they understand that they uh, have access to those things, um, that they are supported, um, and that when they try new things and fail because... They will. That's what happens in the process of innovation. Failure is a part of it, Um, and we don't just accept the failure. We have to learn from it, Mm -hmm. but leaders really need to support the failure and learning um, along the way in order to make sure that the innovation really takes place. So um, one thing we got to do is that leaders need to make sure that their people have what they need um, to do the work required to bring innovation uh, into the organization. So people is one. Um, Processes, uh, and I talked a little bit about that when I talked about skill set, but not just the individual processes, but what are the team processes that need to happen uh, in order to make sure that people are thinking alike, that they're working together, um, and that they're making things happen uh, around innovation. So there has to be processes at the team level, and also the organizational processes. Um, One of the things that that we've uh, encountered in the last 20 years or so is that when organizations have a system for, for capturing ideas, have a system... For collaborating on those ideas, have a system for making sure that people are um, seeing those ideas, improving them, making them even better uh, through idea management. Um, That's one of the things that's critical for making innovation happen. So having those processes in place, those systems in place, that's a, another thing that a leader can do. So we got people, we got process. Um, need to pay attention to the output, right? So what are the things that the organization is creating? Are they creating products? Are they creating um, processes? Are they creating services? Are they creating uh, new business models? Are they creating new ways of talking to the customer? Are they talking about, um, you know, new ways of creating an experience for people? Um, What are the outcomes that the organization is really focused on? So uh, one of the things that leaders can do is make sure that the organization is focused on not just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, but really focused on what's new, what's the next territory, what's the direction that we're going to go in order to make sure that we survive. So, we got people, we got products, we got the outcomes. And then the last thing is to really pay attention to the culture, pay attention to the climate, pay attention to the physical environment. Um, I like to think about that as the context. So, what's the context in which people are operating? So, um, we know that culture is one of those things that is very slow to change, right? And it, it comes from the legacy of the organization. Um, how is the organization founded? How did it become successful? Um, what are the ways that people get things done in the organization? nice way to think about culture is to think about about it in terms of the maze ways. What are the ways that people navigate the maze of the organization in order to get stuff done? Regardless of what the you know what the documents say in terms of the process documents or the RACI documents or the org, uh, you know the, the employee manual, regardless of that, how do things really get done? Right, So pay attention to that culture and make sure that that's going to work and that's going to be successful around innovation. Make sure that you're paying attention to the climate for the organization. What are some of the things that people can, can sort of hear and understand and, and start to articulate in a measurable way around the organization and how it functions? And then also the physical environment. Um, you know, I work in an, I work in an organization where uh, we have a beautiful campus on 50 acres uh, in, the, in the woods next to a lake. Um, the building is almost shaped like a circle. Um, big courtyard in the middle of it, um, and one of the th- one of the challenges that we sometimes have is that the people on one side of the building don't always talk to the people on the other side of the building, right? So what do you do in order to foster some of those communications, right? One of the things we do we have a central coffee area, <laughs> so there's a good way to find folks on a regular basis. Um, so it's those it's those four areas: the people, the process, um, the outcomes, and the context. Leaders need to be paying attention to those things, and it, the question always comes up: Well gosh, if I want to drive innovation, where do I start? Mm -hmm. And what we always say is start someplace, right? (laughs) So start in the place that's going to make the most sense for the organization. We're at a company like GE, for example very focused on their people, they might start with people. Um, You know, Apple, computer, um, they're really focused on products and, uh, you know, what they turn out to the customer. They might focus there if they were trying to to ramp it up a notch, right? So depending on the organization, there's going to be different places that are going to be the natural lever to start to move first. So start there, and then make sure you're paying attention to the other three as well.
0: Okay, got it. So the people, the processes, the output, and the culture slash physical environment.
1: Yeah, the context we might call that.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the coffee machine. Uh I think a probably a pretty well known design example by this point is the uh the Pixar workspace where they have the if if my if my memory is correct, they have bathrooms uh as, as one central location because they figure that's one thing that everybody's yeah. going to do over the course of yeah. the day.
1: Yeah my, my favorite my favorite example of the the physical environment there's a there's an organization in San Francisco called One Workplace and they they design workplaces that's what they do professionally um, and I think they're the largest distributor of steel case furniture uh, I think it was steel case furniture, like in the in the country. Mm-hmm. They do really nice work. And at their headquarters building, right? So they've got their headquarters is attached to a warehouse. And so they've got the office spaces where people are, you know, customer service people and the design people and the executive staff, they're all at, in a building that is, you know, right, it shares a common wall with the warehouse. Um, and so they've got, you know, they designed it. When I first walked through there, I thought, this space doesn't make any sense, right? All the bathrooms are in one corner, corner of the headquarters. Um, the mailboxes are in another corner of the headquarters the lunch space the cafeteria was upstairs um and like everybody whether they worked in the warehouse or the headquarters they had to like trudge all across the building in order to get to wherever they needed to get to, whether it was a cafeteria or whatever. And they said, no, 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 we did that very very intentionally because we want people to have to see each other. We want people to have those informal conversations in the hallways, just like what you said about Pixar, because we want to make sure that they're having those conversations, whether they work in the warehouse or whether it's the CEO of the company, we want them to have informal conversations because we know that something like 60% of the of the communication that gets the work done happens in the hallways. It happens informally. It happens when people are just passing each other in the hallway someplace and I think that makes all kinds of sense
0: yeah it's fascinating we're still social beings at our at, at our very hearts
1: yeah absolutely absolutely you know we're, we were we weren't built uh, or equipped to just spend our lives in a cubicle someplace you know, <laughs> being as efficient as possible walking three steps to the bathroom four steps to get coffee and then five steps to get lunch that's just not how we're that's not how we're wired up <laughs>
0: Okay, good. Good to know. So you mentioned GE earlier, and we mentioned uh, at the at the jump a number of different companies that are kind of household names that you've worked with uh, to help them make their workforces more innovative. Uh, what are what are some common requests that you hear from companies when you first start working with them?
1: Well, it's a good question, um, and what's interesting to me about it, and and we've been we've been having a lot of conversations about this at the Center for Creative Leadership lately. One of the things that shows up is that. Uh, there are a lot of people who ask for innovation. And, you know, it's kind of like the joke is people will say, hey, can you can you help us with innovation? We say, yeah, absolutely. We can do that. And then we always say, well, what do you mean by that? Right? So innovation is one of those words that covers a lot of sins. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and so, you know, most of the time folks you know are saying, well, we're really trying to improve our pipeline. And when you start to, you start to peel back the layers to understand what that's all about, um, innovation means a lot of different things um depending on what they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, I've worked with organizations where innovation to them meant, you know, we want our people to be more curious. We want them to start asking a lot more questions. Um, I've worked with organizations where you start to unpeel it and it's really all about communication, right? So, you know, folks don't folks don't have the skills to really engage in those conversations around the work, around the newness really effectively. Um, we've talked to organizations where it's really all about, we, we can't figure out how to work across the organization, right? We're not wa- working across the side Really well. We're not really um, working up and down the hierarchy. We're not interacting with our with our stakeholders enough. Um, So it's how do we work together across the organization? Sometimes innovation just you know what the organization's just stuck in a paradigm. They had a tremendously successful product solution. Um, They leveraged the heck out of it, and it's getting old. And now they're scared. Um, And so it it really means a lot of different things to a lot of different organizations. And typically when folks are starting to figure out how do we deliberately get more innovation going on, it means that there's probably something else that's going on along the way. Um, and that's half the, half the, the process that, that we work with, with our clients to basically say, hmm, so what do you mean by that? Um, what's the, what seems to be the obstacle? What seems to be the sticking point? Um, and then let's take a look at you know, how do we get past that and how do we leverage the things that you're doing really well along the way?
0: Okay, so earlier you mentioned three building blocks for innovation, and these are also mentioned in the white paper, uh, tool set, skill set, and mindset. Yeah. So if I'm a company that's looking to uh, learn how to flex or build my innovation muscle, for lack of a better way to put it, is there a specific order that you would recommend developing these capabilities in? Uh,
1: great question. Um, and uh, it used to be that the answer was very clear which was you start with the tool set uh, and then you develop your skill set and that will sh- that will help you develop your mindset um, and so for years that was the practice in developing you know creative thinking skills innovative thinking skills uh, which was we will give you a bunch of tools uh, you're gonna get really good you're going to develop mastery in using them and using them in the right place and over time that will shape your mindset you will start to start to you know become better at deferring judgment and sort of a, gaining this tolerance for ambiguity and, and other nice mindset pieces. Um, and uh, I don't know, probably about 15 years ago or so, uh, one of the one of the guys that I was doing a lot of work with, a guy by the name of Bob Eckert, um, very smart guy, we started to take a look at that and say, hmm, is that the only way? Is there a, is there a way that we can sort of jumpstart that and start to take a look at it from the other perspective by really having folks think about their mindset first um, and uh, we developed some, some really nice ways of, uh, of having folks develop their mindset, which then started to improve their, the, the use of their tool set. Um, and so I would say that you, you can start in either one of those places, right? Um, and that's going to enable that skill set to really work nicely. So having a good, robust tool set is a great place to start. And making sure that you've got a mindset, you know, first that's going to embrace that innovation, that's another great place to start. So one of the one of the, my favorite stories, uh, we had a uh, an associate who was in uh, Mexico City, and uh, he got a call from a client who uh, basically said, "Hey, uh, we really need your help developing a, a culture of innovation in our organization." Uh, another company was in here about a year ago, and they trained us in twelve tools uh, for creative thinking and innovation, uh, and nobody's using them. So we want you to come in and teach us 50 tools around creativity and innovation so that (laughs) folks will start to use those, which kind of seems like that definition of uh, of insanity. You know, it's like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So if 12 didn't work, then we'll give them 50. Um, When in fact, it was probably a question of, Uh, you know, they really needed some help developing the mindset that was going to help them use those tools much more effectively. So it wasn't that the tools didn't work, it was that people just didn't have the mindset to make them work. Um, And so, you know, the more you can develop the mindset, the more you can really help people sort of stretch their brain a little bit and be more open to to the new ideas that are floating around out there Um, and to really be willing to do the hard work to develop those ideas and sell them through the organizations, that's what's going to allow innovation to happen, which is basically about, you know, bringing out those those new and different ideas. They're going to add some quantifiable, uh, quantifiable gain to the organization.
0: Okay, good deal. So there's a, a concept that you mentioned in the white paper called the innovation ghetto, and it sounds to me like maybe that company was was on the fast track to the innovation ghetto, uh, <laughs> seeking to go from 12 to 50 tools that they could use. But can you tell listeners what the innovation ghetto is and, uh, more importantly, how they can avoid finding themselves there? <laughs>
1: yeah and and uh, it's it's actually maybe a little bit different than what it sounds so the innovation ghetto is is our term for what happens when you create uh, an isolated innovation department um, and so some organizations will take that approach um, and they'll say hey we're going to create an innovation department uh, and this particular department they're going to be responsible for innovation in the organization um, and so what happens then is so within the you know within the the city if you will that is the organization then what people know is okay so innovation happens happens over there in that place, so i got to be careful going near them or I really want to play in that space or whatever, but but I know that if I'm not in that space, then I'm not responsible for innovation. And that kills innovation in the organization. It kills the culture of innovation because what it says is innovation happens there and only there, and if you're not there, then that's not your job. And so that then sort of becomes this, this isolated island within the organization, um, which may be doing some great work, but the rest of the organization has a tendency to not react favorably to those ideas that come out of there because you know what? It didn't happen here. It's, I, I didn't invent it. I don't want anything to do with it. Right? It came out of that place. Um, mm-hmm. And so the innovation ghetto. Kills innovation, uh, kills the culture of innovation, um, and is not as likely to succeed because people are not as bought in. And so the challenge is, how do you bring innovation into the entire organization, the entire city, so that everybody's uh, everybody feels responsible and accountable for making it happen, and then you know actually has the leeway to do so.
0: Okay, got it. So it's more about working across departments and capabilities, uh, yeah. and, and less about just not really having any idea what you're doing with the innovation.
1: Uh, c- correct. Right. So, uh, you know, so one of the one of the things that is that is always one of the the linchpins of innovation in an organization, people are always asking, well, how do I sell my ideas across the organization? Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the great pieces of research that's come out of the Center for Creative Leadership recently is the the work around what we call boundary spanning leadership. So how do you lead? How do you work across all of the different boundaries that exist in the organization? And I made reference to it a little bit earlier. And so it's how do you work across all of the silos within an organization or or as somebody recently called say hey we don't have silos in our organization we have cylinders of excellence
0: oh <laughs> wow that sounds that, that sounds, yeah, that, that I, sounds I, neat I,
1: yeah, I want cylinders of excellence too. Yeah, I know you got silos. Right. So how do you work across the silos in the organization? How does engineering work with manufacturing and work with marketing and work with distribution and work with administration and work with finance? Right. How do you work across those silos? How do you work up and down the hierarchy? How do you make sure that the, the people who are you know, working on the floor uh, manufacturing this stuff um, you know, can communicate ideas uh, up to the CEO and vice versa and everywhere in between? Right? How do you work across the various demographics that are happening in the organization? Whether those demographic differences are age-based, we've got four generations in the workplace for the first time now ever, like they're seeing things completely differently. Um, sometimes it's race, sometimes it's religion, sometimes it's, you know, all these things that get in the way of people, you know, having good, clear conversations with each other. Um, can be education, all those different differences. Um so and we've also got to deal with the, you know, the issues around geography, right? So if we've got a, you know, at CCL, we've got facilities in the U.S. and Europe and uh, Asia and Africa, right? How do we make sure that we can uh, communicate across all of those offices? Um, and then the other one is stakeholders, right? So how do we make sure that we can work across the boundaries that show up between us and our customers, between us and our vendors, between us and regulators, um, between us and the community in which we operate, right? So, um, so it's really a, 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 at issue is the question of how do we work really effectively across all of those boundaries um, in order to make sure that those things are happening well
0: sure okay good deal so you you recently published a uh, a blog post on the five stages of leadership Uh, can, can you give a quick overview on what the five stages are and the competencies they require or it doesn't have to be quick can you just give an overview of them
1: yeah and so, so one of the things that, uh, that the Center for Creative Leadership uh, pays a good bit of attention to is the fact that leadership looks different at different, org- at different levels of the organization. right So if you're, a, if you're a sole contributor, right and you don't have direct reports necessarily, but you may be leading, uh, you may be leading innovation teams or project teams on a regular basis. Um, if you're just uh, just with the level that we call leading self, um, that looks different than if you're leading a team. Mm-hmm. And that looks different than if you're leading uh, other people who are leading teams. So if you're leading managers, uh, in fact, which looks different than if you're leading an entire function. Like if you're the vice president of engineering, for example, mm-hmm. um, leadership looks different than if you're just, you know, a, a director of other, you know, engineering managers. And that looks very different than the innovation that happens or the leadership that happens when you're leading the organization when you're in the C-suite. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so what we've been taking a look at is what are the innovation skills that happen by organizational level. So so if you're leading self, if it's, if it's you uh, as a member of a team, really what it boils down to uh, is doing a good job of creating, right? Knowing how to generate creative solutions, being able to participate on a diverse innovation team, finding sources of inspiration for new approaches, right? That's innovation at the leading self level. Um, when you're leading a team, when you're leading other people, it's about facilitating, Right, so how do you, how do you lead, a, uh, lead the group uh, so that they can come up with uh, innovative solutions? Mm-hmm. How do you get to be a good team leader and project manager? How do you finesse the resources from outside your unit in order to help your team be more successful? So leading others is about facilitating. When you're leading managers, it's about advocating and bridging. Right, so it's you know how do you basically support and protect the innovation team from uh, the other parts of the organization or from the superiors in the organization um, who are making things difficult or just sending down a lot of distractions, right? How do you ensure that there is due diligence for for building a case for grassroots innovation if it's coming out of the group? How do you make sure that you can advocate for those people? Um, and then how do you bridge, you know, how do you work across the silos? How do you work with other groups that are working on similar challenges to ensure that there's cons- constructive cooperation rather than destructive uh, competition, right? So you got to advocate and bridge when you're leading managers. And when you're leading the function, it's much more about directing and protecting, right? So it's about managing the conflicting demands for resources. Uh, it's about making sure that, you know, folks are really paying attention to managing the pipeline, um, and it's basically about sort of balancing the portfolio bets, if you will. So, you know, which of these things are going to be the the line extensions? Which of these things are going to be the really big disruptive innovations? How do we balance those bets that we're making on innovation? Um, and then protecting, it's basically making sure that uh, everybody has the stuff that they need um, and that, they're, that uh, their function is being well cared for Um to uh, in essence establish an innovation strategy that's gonna work within the function and also bridge some of those silos. So, and, then, and then, when you're leading the organization, it's about mandating and fostering, right? Which is two really interesting words. So one of them is mandating, sort of mandating that that this is the thing that's really going to happen, making sure that there is an innovation strategy in the organization, communicating that vision over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and then fostering is basically all about sort of fostering that culture of innovation that we talked about earlier, really showing support for those different, those new, those disruptive ideas, and then finding ways to hear and see unfiltered concepts. One of the things that we hear from senior leaders all the time is, you know what, I know there's great ideas in the organization, but by the time they, you know, they sort of filter up through the food chain to me, they've been de-risked. There's nothing new. There's nothing excited about nothing exciting about it because people want to present safe ideas to the, senior, to the senior person. And so it's a question of how do you get past that? How do you get the unfiltered ideas?
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like in the C-level, at least, there's almost a balance of uh, when you say mandating versus fostering, that makes me think of almost hard power versus soft power. You know, With, with fostering, you're sort of cultivating and encouraging innovation, but you're not banging your fist on the table and saying, I demand innovation
1: yeah exactly it's it 's that natural tension there's there's a, there's some really interesting tensions that happen as you start to unpack innovation within an organization even just like even just the phrase innovation in an organization right so mm-hmm. an organization is all about doing the same things over and over again, making it repeatable, making it predictable you know people know what 's going to happen, which is just the opposite of what innovation is right so mm-hmm. innovation is creating and implementing something new right that that's going to add some value to the organization and that requires messing things up it requires doing things we've never done before and so there's that tension between innovation and organization it's that tension between mandating and fostering it's that tension between doing your job right doing the thing that that generates income that generates revenue for the organization versus doing something completely different, right? There's a big tension between doing your job and doing innovation in the organization. And, you know, and, and nine times out of 10 in organizations where organizations will say, we want innovation. Here's our strategy for innovation. And yet the culture says, whatever you do, don't stop doing the work that's gonna keep generating the revenue. And so there's a big tension. And so what always wins? The status quo. The status quo almost always wins unless we can find a way to make sure that we're balancing that tension between doing the work and doing innovation,
0: yeah, that's it, it's an interesting uh, interplay between those needs, I guess. Yeah, um, and it it uh, you know, as I was doing research for the for the podcast and you know, reading the white paper and hearing some of the things that you had to say about you know, those that succeed in innovating versus those that fail, the, the one of the things that tends to set them apart is those that succeed have a formal way of measuring innovation. Mm-hmm. And and you tend to think of innovation, at least I do, as a something that's kind of a creative process. So if you start to worry too much about measuring and metrics and, and all of that, then it seems to me like it impedes on the creative process. But that actually is not the case.
1: Right, you know, for for years I've been teaching, you know, the guidelines or rules for, you know, creative thinking, for innovative thinking and people say, "No, no, 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 innovation creativity doesn't have any rules." It's like, "Well, yeah, it actually does have some rules, right? There are some rules, there's some structure that really allow it to happen." Everyone says, "You got to think outside the box, you need a clean sheet of paper." Yes. And that also puts you in a really difficult place, right? So if we've got some governance, if we know what we're paying attention to, if we know what the inputs are that we're measuring and we know what the throughputs are that we're measuring and the outputs, you know, that's going to help us hopefully you know start to focus on the right things assuming we've identified those things really well sure um, you know one of the one of the things you're bringing up will is this uh, this there's a there was a cap gemini study that was done um, in 2012 that basically said that one of the big challenges um, that organizations face as they're trying to do innovation is making sure that they've got the right the right governance um, the right governance within the organization what they found is something like 30% of the organizations that they took a look at They felt that they had a really effective organizational structure for innovation. Right. And so, uh, you know, so you start to think about, OK, so we need a strategy for innovation. We need a culture for innovation. We need to make sure we got, got the right structure for innovation. Um, this is hard work. You know, this is one of those things that too many times organizations, you know, there will be somebody in the organization who is like the lone genius, you know, kind of like the person, the, the person who's coming up with these brilliant ideas. And they're saying, OK, that guy, we want that person to head up the innovation department. Um And those efforts rarely go anyplace because they don't start to take take into account those bigger issues, the culture, the strategy, the structure, all of those sorts of things. And so that's why it's really important to take a look at the big picture, not Mm -hmm. just one individual event or not just one individual idea.
0: Sure. And for for the throughputs or outputs, what, what would be some typical metrics that someone might measure if they were looking to start measuring innovation?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just sort of some of the top line things. So as we start to think about inputs, we might start to take a look at, all right, so how many, how many ideas are we paying attention to? Right. How many, uh, how many products are we playing around with? Uh, How many things are at at the entry point of our pipeline? Um, You know, the output might be something like, uh, you know, how many new products are we launching on a regular basis or Mm -hmm. how much, uh, how much cost savings are we utilizing in terms of process improvement? Um, Or, you know, so what are, how, how, what are some of the new alliances that we're making on a regular basis right those would be some of the outputs and then the throughputs um you know it really kind of depends on what the nature of the organization is but that could be uh, anything from you know how many ideas are we running into are we putting into test market um you know it could be you know how many uh, how many solutions are we sort of playing around with um you know in the lab at various stages of development um so there's you know there those things are are really unique to the organization, and those are some of the, those are some of the starting points to take a look at.
0: Okay, good deal. Uh, so Jonathan, at the top of the show, we mentioned that you'll be chairing the front end of Innovation conference in May. Yes. Can you give listeners some details on what that is, where it is, who should attend?
1: Sure. Uh, so the front end of innovation, uh, great conference been going on for a number of years. Uh, it's happening May 13th through 15th, 2014. Uh, it's in Boston. Um, if you want to go to a website, there's uh, you can go to iirusa.com um and uh you can start looking for the front end of innovation iirusa.com and in essence this is a this is a conference for people who are really interested in uh, a lot of the new product stuff uh, a lot of the early aspects around innovation in terms of uh hey we need innovation we don't know where to start that's where we sort of get into this fuzzy front end which is we could go in a lot of different directions but you know we're not really sure where to go um and so there's some great Great speakers. Daniel Pink, who is uh, just one of my favorite authors, also a really nice guy, uh, is going to be there. He wrote a book called Drive. Um, he's got a he's got a new book out that. Shame on me! I don't remember the name of it, but just some really, some really good stuff that he's thinking about. Uh, Bray Pettis is going to be there talking about some of the interesting innovations around 3D uh, printing. Uh, Peter Diamandis is going to be there talking about technology. Some great speakers, a great group of folks who are really focused on innovation from a variety of different types of organizations. So, technology, new products, um, consumer products, goods, services, all sorts of different organizations are there. Governments there, lots of different uh, organizations are there. Um, and then one of the cool things is there's going to be a bunch of, uh, bunch of tours of some different um, organizations. So IDEO, which is a great product design firm. It's going to be tours of their facility. Uh, Sam Adams uh, Brewery, Boston Beer Company, um, a great uh, great group to work with. I had the pleasure of working with them for a while and uh, drinking beer and doing work is an awful lot of fun. They've got a nice brewery <laughs> in the middle of their headquarters, uh, or a nice pub, rather, in the middle of their headquarters. Uh, the Harvard iLab. Uh, so some really interesting and fun things happening in Boston May 13th through 15th. IIRUSA.com
0: Very nice. And Jonathan Vihar can be found on Twitter at Jonathan underscore Vihar. That's Jonathan underscore Um, V-E-H-A-R. Center for Creative Leadership is CCL.org? That's correct. All right. Uh, Jonathan, anything else you want to uh, get out there for our listeners today?
1: Well, I want to say thank you very much. It's been an awful lot of fun. Um, and uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do to foster innovation uh, in your organization. And uh, if I had to say there was just if there was only one thing that you boiled it down to, I would say uh, it's that you basically want to take a look at uh, all new ideas and look for the value in the new idea before you start to say, boy, that's not going to work here. Because our human reaction, our normal uh, knee-jerk reaction to new ideas is to say, that's weird, that's strange, that's unusual. I don't think so so my challenge to all of, the, all of the listeners is to look for the value in each and every new idea that they come across, um, because that's one of the things that fosters innovation.
0: Okay, fantastic. That's Jonathan Vihar again from the Center for Creative Leadership. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today. It's
1: been a pleasure, Will. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Now that we've learned a little bit about setting up the right environment for innovation, we're ready to move on to ideas in the next episode of the podcast. We'll have Keith Harmeyer on to talk about a book that he co-wrote called Smart Storming the game-changing process for generating bigger, better ideas. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.